or a, a device that you'll be looking at the text. We're going to be in Second uh, Samuel. Last week we finished First um, Samuel, um, and we're going to continue just kind of rolling straight through into Second Samuel. Um, it's the same. It, it, when I say it's the same story, I don't mean that it's it's a repeat, but it's the, it's the story continued. Basically, First Samuel and Second Samuel were divided um, due to length of of scroll. Um, and so it, it, it broke where last week we saw Saul's death um, and we saw um, David um, having realized that he's right that he's um, has defeated the Amalekites. Um, and this week we're going to pick up in Second Samuel. Continue um, in Second Samuel. Um, the the scene that we have as we left last week and we come into this week is this, is that, that Saul um, in, in chapter 31 has died. Um, and that news has not yet reached um, the rest of the people. Um, David has been fighting the Amalekites. Um, and, and, and what I love about First and Second Samuel is this, is that it does not whitewash individuals. It does not whitewash history. It does not pretend like everything's okay. Um, it, it shows the highs and lows. We should be able to see ourselves in this, um, to see, see the difficulty, the ambiguity, um, and our need, because people struggle, um, and, and they make decisions where they're honoring and trusting the Lord. They make decisions where they're not. And so we, we come this morning knowing that, that history hasn't changed a lot, that we, we both um, have highs and lows, and we see a need, and we see difficulty. Um, and so... Let's just pick up in, in verse one of first Samuel or sorry, second Samuel. It's gonna take me a second to get to Second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter one. Um, after the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and paid homage. And David said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, How did it go? Tell me. And he answered, The people fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. And then David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and his, young, and his, and his son Jonathan are dead? And the young man who told him said, By chance I happen to be on Mount Geboa. And there was Saul leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? And I answered to him, An Amalekite. And he said to me, Stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. And then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned, and they wept, and they fasted until evening for Saul and Jonathan and his son, and for the people of the Lord, and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. So, so David and his men, right, they are recuperating, because they had gone off to fight the Philistines in battle, sorry, to fight supposedly to fight Israel with the Philistines in battle. The Philistine lords had said, no, 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 I want you, we're not, we don't trust you, we want you to go back. They had then pushed hard for two or three days to get back to their home. 
They get back to Ziklag, and they found that it's been raided, that all the people are gone, the city's been burned, and then they go immediately into battle, right? They, go, they pursue the Amalekites. They defeat them in battle. And so now here they are um, recuperating, resting, because they've been in difficulty. They've been in battle for a while. These are the same people who for a couple of years now have been in the wilderness. I'm living, constantly being chased by Saul and his men. They're the ones who have been living with the Philistines under a ruse. Um, they are those who um, had, had recently had their homes destroyed. They've lost um, their family and have, have had to battle to get them back. They've disagreed on who should um, share in the spoil. And they know that their nation, their people, are actually at war with the Philistines as they speak, right? So, so these are men who are emotionally, physically drained, um, who have gone through a lot over the last couple of years. And then this man walks in um, looking with, with signs of mourning, with dirt in his hair and clothes torn. David knows that they're, they're at war. And right now he's, he's fighting basically on the side of the Philistines, supposedly. And so the Philistines are at war with Israel. And this man comes in with news of the battle, and David's not sure which side it is that he's coming from and which side he's bringing news of. And he asks him, and he says, Listen, I come from, from Israel, although I'm not an Israelite, and the king is dead. And I've got evidence that the king is dead. And this man is most likely expecting a reward. right? He's looking to, to gain favor with the, with the new king. right? Everyone knows that that Saul has wanted David dead because David is going to be king. And so now this man comes with evidence that the king is dead, expecting that the one who has been hunted, the one who has been on the run for years, is going to rejoice and be glad and go, you're the one who's brought good tidings and good news. right? He's looking to bring about favor and reward. But what we know is if you were with us last week, this man is lying. Because we, we were told what happened. Now David doesn't know this yet. Right? But that the king in battle had asked his armor bearer to kill him when he knew that the Philistines were going to overtake him. And the armor bearer was afraid and was unwilling to do this, right? Because he didn't want to put his hand against the Lord's anointed. And so that Saul commits suicide, right? Like he kills himself. And then the armor bearer falls suit. And so most likely this man, this individual, is going through um, probably stripping bodies of anything they can find after the battle and comes across the king, right? And in this moment, he goes, he knows the story of David. He knows the story of what Saul's been doing. And here he is with a crown and an armlet going, man, if I find David, I can be in. I can be in his court. I can find reward or riches or wealth or power or something. And David gives us such an unexpected response. I want you to imagine that someone who has literally tried to spear you to the wall and kill you multiple times, who has hunted you, has taken hundreds of men into the wilderness to find you, you hear news that this man has died, is dead. That the, the, the anointing and the kingship that's been promised to you, now there's nothing standing in the way. And he doesn't celebrate, right? He doesn't rejoice. He mourns. Look at verse 11. David took hold of his clothes and he tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. They mourned and they wept and they fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel. Because they, right, they're going, these are people that we know and we love. This is our nation. These are our people. And they mourn. 
They respect the role of the king, right? Even though they didn't right, have a good relationship with the king. They, they respect the role that God, had, that, that, they, that God had put Saul in that role, right? That they're trusting him. I think this reveals to us that, that David is not just a character here, right? Because if this is just a story that's quickly moving and, it's a, and he's a character, then right, we just move on to the next thing. But instead we see pain and, and struggle and anguish that it doesn't just quickly move forward. So let's pick up in verse 13. And David said to the young man who told him, Where do you come from? And he answered, I am the son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. And David said to him, How is it that you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, Go and execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood be on your head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. And so it's kind of like a, a, a what? Like what, are you t- like what is going on? This is not probably the expected turn here, right? That, that David goes, let me confirm who you are. Let me confirm what you've said. Right? David has had multiple opportunities to put his hand against Saul and has been unwilling to do it. Like He, he has had a fear of doing that. You don't touch the Lord's anointed. To, to, to touch the Lord's anointed is to go against God, is to reject God. And so he has this man killed. Now we need to be re- reminded that much of the, the, New, the Old Testament is pre- it's, it's descriptive, right? It's telling us what happened, what occurred. It's not always telling us this is what we should thus do. It's not prescriptive. But this man has killed, has claimed to kill the king. David doesn't know otherwise at this point. And he says, listen, it's on your head because you have done this. You have admitted this and you did it without fear, without regret. You did it expecting reward. We know that the Amalekites were, were plunderers, right? They attacked Israel as they were walking out of Egypt. They've attacked Ziklag and, and David's people when the men were gone, right? This is what they're known for. Um, and so David has strong justice here. And so let's pick up and finish chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. And David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son. And he said that it should be taught to the people of Judah, Behold, it is written in the book of Jashar. He said, Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Let the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. You, daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, 
and the weapons of war perish. And so we see um, this, this lamentation. Right? We were reminded that David is not just a warrior, but he's a poet. Right? That we, we get this glimpse of the Psalms here as he cries out to the Lord, lamenting over the fallen Jonathan and Saul. Um, it's written in a book that we don't, we no longer have. The book of Deshar. Um, basically, a lament is is saying it's not supposed to be this way. It's not. This is not what it's supposed to be like. And so, what is it that David is lamenting? He's lamenting that Saul was not the king he was supposed to be, right? Like that he had an opportunity, right, to be the, the king not after the nations but after God, right, to honor the Lord, and yet. Saul has not done that. He hasn't trusted and, and followed hard after God. He has done his own thing. Right? And he even reminds us that there was a period right, where Saul was impressive. Look at verse 22. And the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, right? Like he's brought some stability. He clothed you luxuriously in scarlet. He's saying, listen, there was, there was good in Saul, but it didn't go the way it was supposed to. He's, he's lamenting that things aren't the way they're supposed to be regarding Jonathan, who's supposed to be, right? this is his best friend. He wants him alive. He wanted him to be a part of his kingdom, right? A part of his reign. And now his friend is dead. Verse 26, I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. Listen, that's a, a strange turn of phrase there. Um, in, in, in the Middle East, marriage is still to this day very, very rarely about love. Right? It's about power. It's about prestige. It's about connection. And so if you were to ask the average Middle Easterner, would you prefer to marry for love or for money? They would say for money, right? Because then we have money and I might grow to love someone. Um, our neighbors um, in Yemen would say like they were, it was an arranged marriage, right? They didn't choose, but their parents did a good job and they had grown to love one another. But they wouldn't have gone into marriage saying that they loved one another. That wasn't what they, they expected or anticipated. And so David here is saying, listen, Jonathan was the closest person in my life. Like, he has loved me. He's been in the trenches of battle with me. He renounced the throne of his own father to say, Dad, you're wrong about David. Um, he has saved David's life. Right? He's chosen to be a good friend to David. And David is saying, listen, Jonathan, right, you have loved me in a way that my wives have been unable to because of your, you have known me and loved me and cared for me. And she's like, this isn't how it was supposed to be. We were supposed to continue. He, he laments Gilboa where the battle happened. So he says, look, let there not be dew or rain. Like, don't let there be reward upon this place. He's lamenting the Philistines rejoicing. In verse 20, he mentions two of their cities. He's like, I don't want them to know this news because they're going to rejoice thinking they've defeated the people of God. And they're wrong. Like, it's not supposed to be this way. As we started, we said, listen, David has been in a season of trouble and difficulty. Trouble upon trouble. Bad news upon bad news. Right? Like, that you're not living in your home, homeland any longer. You've been in battle. Your city's been destroyed. 
Um, your families have been taken, right? Your king has died. Your nation is at war. You've been hunted by the king. Um, all of these things, it's just been difficulty after difficulty after difficulty for David. And so he is pouring out his heart here and lamenting over the king's death and over his friend Jonathan's death. And so here's where I want us to kind of kind of end as we, as, as we look at this passage this morning, is why do we lament? Like, why should we lament? Why would David lament? I don't remember ever talking about lament in church growing up. I'm sure it was probably there at some point. I don't remember it. Um, it's not something I think the church is historically um, in, in, been great at. Um, there's probably been more talk of lament over the last year than there ever has been before because we just collectively have had a, a difficult year kind of across the board. But lament is pouring out strong emotion to the Lord. Right? It's, it's expressing strong and deep emotion, pain, hurt. It's saying to God, it's not supposed to be like this. This isn't what we, what we desire. It's not what you intended. This is not supposed to be this way. And what we've seen so far in First and Second Samuel is that the history is difficult and things have gone awry and yet we're seeing the hand of God at work, that He is trustworthy and He is in control even when things seem to have gone awry. Right? That we can take courage and comfort and hope in the fact that as history feels like it's out of control and things are awry and nothing's going right, that God is in control, He's at work, and we can trust Him. And so Scripture is full of individual and um, corporate, collective laments. It's where we can say, and it's why we would say and believe this, it's okay not to be okay. Like It's okay if this morning you walked in and you're not doing great. Like You can share that with God. It's okay to look at Him and say, this is hard. This is hard. That is different than saying you're not good. Right, we want we want to we want to balance this this morning. Right, that that it's not just vehemently expressing all of our angst and anger and raising a fist to God. That is not lament. Lament is pouring out our emotions and our hurt and our pain and our struggle and our discontent while saying, "But I still want you and I still believe you're good." Instead of saying, "Look at what you've done." Right now, listen. There could be a fine line between those two. Right. So here's how, we, here's how we can biblically lament as we walk through this this morning. The first thing is this, is that we turn to God. right? You turn to God in prayer, in emotion, with tears. right? You turn to Him. You are recognizing that there is difficulty and it's supposed to be different. right? And so we turn to God in prayer with our emotion, with our tears, with our pain. right? The second thing is this, is you voice it. You voice your pain. You voice your concern. You voice your complaint. Right? You're allowed to do this. Listen to just a couple of examples of this from the Psalms. This is Psalm 13.1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Right? You hear pain, difficulty, complaint, lament. Psalm 22.1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? 
Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, and I find no rest. And then one more, this is Psalm 77, 9. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? Right? Like we see the psalmist here asking difficult, hard, painful, emotional questions. But who are they asking them to? To God. Right? They're taking them to Him and they're voicing their pain and their concern and their complaint. Listen, it is, you're allowed to do this. It's, it is real pain. It is consistent pain. It, it, it hurts and it's honest. And there is a plethora of options to choose from. Right? Sickness. Being sinned against. Betrayed. Death. The loss of relationship or broken relationship. Infertility. Dashed hopes. The, the fear that is brought about right by um, war. Rumors of war. Governments. Right? Like all of these things can create fear, doubt, um, concern, pain, complaint. Creation itself, Scripture tells us in Romans 8, groans, remembering perfection and, and perfect, creation and perfection and harmony and longing for the day where God is going to restore it to the place that it belongs. Right? That creation itself is groaning. And so we inwardly, we too, we groan. Listen, it, it, this week has been one of those weeks where there's just been a lot um, and, and maybe there's not been any one big thing, but um, there's been marriages that I've been, I've been walking with that, that just seems like they're, they're turning the wrong way, right? There's just pain and difficulty. Um, there's been um, consequences from, uh, from drug addiction. Um, there have been um, accusations that I'm just not enough for some people, right? Like I haven't done enough for them. Um, a, a reminder that I can't be the Savior. Um, folks having to deal with the consequences of bad decisions and bad choices. Grief over um, death anniversaries. Multiple um, cancer diagnoses. People who are just lost, hurting. And so I've, I've had to spend some time this week confessing like my own sin because I just feel like I should just be able to carry it. And, and so, like, I haven't lamented this week. Even though I have felt the need to lament, my first instinct was not to lament. Right? Like, we are, we are West Texas folk. And we are strong, and we are tough, and we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Right? And we're, we're not whiners, and we're not complainers, and we don't, right? Like, we don't, like, flounder in our emotions. And yet, this week, as I was just hammered, right, over and over and over again by these things, I had to confess to, to Carmen and, and, and to a couple of you, like, I, I feel like I've tried to just carry it. And I haven't taken it to Jesus. I haven't lamented just the, the struggle that folks are having and that I can't do as much as I want about it. And I feel like my response is I have to be strong. And I have to be enough. I've got it. That is the opposite of lament. That is arrogant. That is independence when we are called to be dependent. And it, it, it's lacking humility. And it's lacking trust that God is sufficient and faithful. And, and after a week of that, like it was studying for this passage, I'm like, oh, I should be lamenting. Like that was not even like on my radar. 
And yet the Lord was kind enough to me this week to show me in David's lament, it's okay to say, God, this isn't good. And it's not what you want. And it's not what you intend. And there are better days coming, but I can just say, God, I'm hurt. And I'm hurting. And I'm hurting for me. And I'm hurting for others. That we are okay in lamenting. And so we, we turn to God in prayer. We voice our complaint, our concern, our hurt, our pain. The third thing we do is this, is we ask them for help. Right? So if we go back to Psalm 13 for just a moment. We, we read the initial complaint. And then if you look in verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Right? He's saying, okay, consider, hear me, answer me, God. We turn over to Psalm 27, verse 7 and 9. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. And then one final one. Psalm 142, verse 6. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Right? We, we take our invoice, our complaint, we put language to it, we put tears to it, we put emotion to it, and then we ask for help. Because here's the thing, church, God will give you more than you can handle. He will. Like That idea that He won't is not a biblical idea. Because if we can take care of everything, we don't need Him. We could save ourselves, but we can't. We are in desperate need of hope and of reconciliation and of restoration and of encouragement, and of support. He will give you more than you can handle so that we will depend and trust Him, that we need Him. Right? And so we ask for help. Imagine, maybe some of this is still you to this day, but do you remember as a kid, or if you have kids, right, when they, they desperately need help, but their pride has come up, and there's just this wall of just stubbornness, and they'll look at you, and they're like, I'm not going to say I need it. I'm good. And like the, the anger and the vitriol and the pride is just like pouring out of them. And you're like, man, I just, if you would just ask for help, you don't even know the help that's available to you. You've got to recognize you need it. You've got to voice it. For many of us, we have put up a wall between us and God where we're saying, I don't need your help. I've got it. And we don't. We don't got it. We don't have it. But we have a God who understands, who has been betrayed and spit upon and beaten and mocked and humiliated, who had no place to lay His head. And He hears your prayers. And He knows them. And He understands them. And He intercedes on your behalf. And He takes you into the throne room of grace. And He brings restoration, life over death, calmness in the midst of calamity, peace. He is a God of restoration. He is able and He keeps His promises. Church, He has given us Himself. He's left us His Spirit. He's given us His Word that is God-breathed. He's given us one another. right, To bear one another's burdens. And not for that one day, but over the long haul. To carry weight when others can't. right? He has given us the things that we need for help. We have to ask Him for help as we voice our concern and our complaint and our pain. 
And then the last step is this, is that we have to choose to trust. Just a couple of psalms here. Go back to Psalm chapter 10. Verse 14. But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself, for you have been the helper of the fatherless. Down to verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. And then if we go over to Psalm 16, verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. In John 16, Jesus says, listen, you're going to have trouble in this world. You're going to have trouble in this world, but take heart, I have overcome. Right? We see this, this picture of lament quickly in, in John 16 where he's like, there will be trouble. You have me, and I have overcome. Right, so we turn to the one, right, and we give trust to the one who can help. Like that God is our restorer. And church, no pain that you are going through is going to be wasted. None of it. It's seen and it's known. And there are better days coming. The worst that you will face in this life as a follower of Jesus will be the worst that you will face. Right, You will have no hell. And Revelation 21 says there will be a day where He will wipe every tear from our eyes. Right? Where there will be no more sickness and sin and mourning and death and disease. Right? That the better day is coming. And then on that day we will say light and momentary. Right? With the pain and the suffering and the anguish that we felt in this life compared to the surpassing weight of glory that we have in Jesus. Right? We strengthen our hand by saying, he sees our pain. He ministers to us, and we choose to trust that He is doing something, that He is working for our good and for our benefit for eternity. That we would be more like Jesus, who has also suffered, who in the Garden of Gethsemane cried out in lament of God, is there another way? But I trust you. I trust you. And so what lament does is this, is we honestly share our pain, our struggle, our discomfort. We do that individually, we do that collectively. It's not just venting. And then we lift our eyes and we renew our confidence that we need more of Jesus. That He's with us and that He is for us and it won't always be like this. That's why Lamentations 3 says, right, His mercies are new every morning that He will be with you today and He will not leave you and He will not forsake you and He'll do it again tomorrow. And when we try to bring future pain and future trouble to today, we can quickly become overwhelmed. But on that day, we don't know what is coming or what we fear might be coming. He's going to wake up that morning with you and your mercies will be renewed and restored. And He'll be faithful. We can trust Him. And so I want to encourage you um, in this. Church, we're often not great at this. And so maybe this week you need to spend some time. There are dozens of laments um, in the Psalms, plus there's the book of Lamentations. Um, so maybe spend some time in, in places like Psalm 10 or Psalm 13 
or 22 or 27 or 42 or 77 or 90. Maybe what you need to do after spending some time reading through those laments or even looking at David's here in 2 Samuel 1 um, is to write your own. What is it that you've, you thought you've had to put on a smile because that's what a Christian does and you haven't dealt with the pain and the anguish and the difficulty of it? Maybe you just need to pour out some lament, right? Through tears, through your voice, maybe through written word. Even this morning here as we end and as we go into a time of worship, maybe you just need to sit for a little while or stand and just voice your pain and your complaint as you trust and choose to trust Jesus in this. Right? That we can do that individually, you can do it collectively. Maybe that's what gospel community looks like this week, is that we just we just lament together. That we we enter into one another's pains and we point to the things that would strengthen our hands. And we don't have to run so quickly to those promises. They are there to strengthen us. But your pain doesn't have to be over in a moment either. Right? It doesn't. David, here in 2 Samuel 1, is lamenting over a lost best friend, over the loss of a king, um, over a, a horrific season of bad news as he now heads towards the kingship. Church, would we, as we've come out of 2020, or maybe it's just been a personal difficulty in your family, in your relationship, that we would be a people who would lament, but in our lament, we would, it would push us to know and trust Jesus more, not less. Let's pray. Father, you are beautiful, and you are kind, and you are good. And Lord, yet we know this room this morning is full of pain, fear, struggle, difficulty. God, would we not be so quick um, to ignore it? Would we not be so quick to ignore it in others? God, but in addressing it and in feeling it and voicing it, would it not point us away from you, but actually into you? that you are able to meet our needs, that we will see your promises fulfilled in our lives, that you are gracious and with us and present. God, that you are able and that you're a restorer of all things. And God, that a better day is coming, and it's coming because you have died the death we deserve. You have lived the life that we couldn't. You have beaten sin and Satan and death, and you are alive today to hear our cry. God, we are grateful for the hope that we have, and we are grateful that you are with us now. Lord, would we not be afraid to voice our, our struggle? And God, would we get to see you come through in that? It would strengthen our hand and bolster our faith and make us see you as glorious. God, we need you. We ask you to speak. In your name we pray. Amen.